Hi, guys. Welcome to the Fancy Fantasy Football Podcast. This is your intern host, Bobby. Guys? Okay, hi, this is Pat. Hey, guys, welcome. This is your commissioner, Patrick Polk, and this is our newly professionalized podcast, now available on iTunes. Um, And we're just going to do a quick recap and then we're going to have a nice segment with Abby Saul. So, um, as is often the case with our quick recaps, I have the usual but still special guest, Jennifer Murphy. Say hello, Jen. I feel like you're always setting me up for a boring hey. You can say whatever you want. You don't have to just say hey. You say say hello, and what, what else are you supposed to say? You know, you say hello, and then... Okay, just a second. Let's try again. Hi guys, this is Patrick Polk, your commissioner, and I have a special guest, Jennifer Mercy. Jennifer, tell everyone a funny story. So, I was dropping Lily off at daycare this morning. I said a funny story. (laughs) All right, fine. No daycare stories. But some of them are genuinely quite funny. Color me incredulous. Anyway, so uh, let's get into it. Let's do a little bit of a recap of the past week. Uh, Look at the standings. And then uh, go uh, move on, shall we? First of all, looking at week seven, uh, we kind of didn't have any close games uh, this week. Uh, The closest one looks like it was about 11 points. So not the best week as far as league parity goes. Um, But uh, still, good job, everyone, or at least half of everyone. I personally didn't do so well. Uh, Remind us, Patrick, who was the match of the week this week? There wasn't a match of the week this week because we didn't do a preview of week seven ever. Oh my God. What kind of commissioner would let us have a podcast without a match of the week? A very good commissioner who was a lot of good time into doing podcasts and other fun league activities. You do a very good job. We could have like an impromptu kindness corner right now if you want, where I tell you how great you are. No, it's okay. Thanks. All right. Well, let's start with your match. Okay. Thanks. I was a low score of the week. Moving on. Who were you playing this week, Pat? Gary Nelson, the origin of special teams, yada, yada, yada. How did Gary do? Gary had the second highest score of the week, and I had the number one lowest score of the week, so it wasn't a very close game, as you might anticipate. Is there anything you want to tell us about the matchup? Anything that stood out? Um, Andrew Luck had another good week. There were some predictable high scores. Ravens defense got a big 17 Mm, not much else to speak of on my side. The Vikings got a measly 10 points on defense, which has lately been, uh, that's disappointing for them as of late. That, uh, person that was on your team and that you then dropped, that was one of Gary's starters this week, right? Uh, yeah, still. It looks like he didn't score that many points, maybe out of respect for his former teammates. Probably, probably he, uh, Mr. Christine Michael, the most masculine name in the league. Well, um, I should let you know that Gary got another 100-point week. So that is six 100-point games for uh, Mr. Gary Nelson this season. His personal record and one of the highest numbers in the league is uh, he got seven 100-point games back in 2014. I believe the only person to top that is one Megan Murphy, who got eight. So he is well on track to blow away his own record. Congratulations, Gary. Um, However... So sorry that you're not the number one team anymore, but we'll get to that later. Moving right along, let's go to another uh, match where one half of the people kind of struggled, almost joining me with the lowest score of the week. Sense and penalty, Annalisa versus the call of the field, Megan Murphy. Uh, Meg 
got 80.5. Annalisa got 69.8. So a little bit above me. Much closer match because uh, there's no 114. But uh, yeah, so so that's what we're looking at now. What's jumping out to me is that Annalisa's first two players, Aaron Rodgers and L. Blount, Blunt, oh, LeGarrett, I know that one. Uh, they are almost her entire score for the week. Yeah. Everyone else was just phoning it in, and the Bills were like, fuck you. <laughs> That's very crass. Thank goodness I have an explicit warning on iTunes. Do you really? Yeah, I mean, I chose to because I know that sometimes you swear, specifically you. Other people swear. I'm not the only person that swears. Yeah, pretty much. So anyway, congratulations, Bang Murphy. Way to go. So, uh, by the way, just as what I was doing in the recaps uh, before, so Gary with his win is up to 6-1, and one, and with my loss, I am down to 3-4. and four. Meg Murphy with that win is up to 4-3, and three, and with that loss, Annalisa is down to 2-5. and five. Next, we'll check out The Diary of a Bear, Casey Johnson versus AJ of Green Gables, Meg Collins. This was the other one that was pretty close. Um, Meg Collins pulls off the win 106.1 to uh, 93.8 bringing Meg Collins up to four and three and Casey down to two and five. Anything jumping out at you, Jen? Uh, Justin Tucker, 14 points. Lucky to have him on your team, Meg. He is a treasure. Indeed. And he isn't kicked out of the league for domestic abuse. Wait, that was a thing? Uh, Justin Tucker? No, Josh Brown, a different kicker. Oh, okay. Because Justin Tucker is the kicker that I like. Um, Oh, um, no, I'm just happy to see Gronk back scoring points uh i've been struggling at tight end this year so it is definitely hitting me what a key component of my last year's team gronkowski was point one i think like it seems kind of like every tight end in the league has sucked except for gronk this season i feel like all tight ends have been a big letdown point two uh you're you're doing okay i know it um Last year, though, were tight ends good other than Gronk? Yeah, there were other. Yeah, it was. I feel like it is much more top heavy with just Gronk now. Mm, All right. I I wouldn't know anything about it because I've always had the privilege of having one Rob Gronkowski dinosaur amongst men on my team. Next, let's move on to Punt and Prejudice versus Romo and Juliet. And what's this, everyone? Abby Saul, Punt and Prejudice, getting on the board with a victory. Abby is now up to 1-6, and six, and Tim is down to 2-5. and five. Final score, 113.3, Abby to 89.6 for Tim. So it's uh, pretty important to note that Abby got a 100-point game. Way to go, Abby, finally. She also set her season high, uh, as you might expect. Patrick, I didn't actually mention that in addition to having the low score of the week, that was also your personal season low. Um, Anyway, uh, so Abby also is her, her overall win-loss record in the league history is now tied. So I think this week uh, maybe marks the beginning of an Abby Saul punt and prejudice comeback. Hot take. Don't call it a comeback. Why? That's a reference to a rep music song. Oh, I thought you were telling me not to call it a comeback. I was like, is that like a superstitious thing? Don't call it a comeback. Well, what do you think? Do you think she's on the road to coming back? Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, uh, I mean, she has been doing pretty well points-wise. Not, you know, amazingly, but certainly better than her record would reflect. So she essentially, hopefully, is due for a bit of a comeback. Yes. All right. Otherwise, um, you know, it was not as uh, wide of a spread as we've seen in other matches. Tim's numbers were totally respectable. He just got bested this week. 
Um, he could have he could have used some more points out of Baby Manning. It's always always a disappointment when the QBs don't at least get ten points. I thought you were going to say Baby Manning. Always a disappointment. Oh, oh <laughs> poor Baby Manning. Yeah. And last but not least, we have what probably would have been the match of the week just based on current rankings. The Paddington Bears versus Avery Rice and Big Ben. Jen versus Nick. Jen came out on top. High score of the week, 133.9 over Nick, 86.1. And with that, Jen is at 6-1. And, and now there are only two 6-1 teams. And Jen is on top, the number one team in the league. By like four points. Woo! I told you so many times. You're so good. You're so good at fantasy football. It's not even fair. And you just you need to respect that about yourself. And it's very easy to take you seriously when you're using that voice. Yeah. So anyway. Um, I got a 100-point game, which I like. And actually, you guys, this is my not just season high, but this is my fancy history gen high. Uh, you guys have all had like 160-point games here and there, 150, 140. I have not. This is, this is the most points I've ever scored. I liked it. I would like it to continue. I don't think that's how it's going to go. I can't really count on 30 points out of my flex uh, every week, but it was enjoyable. Sorry, Nick. Um, not sure what else to say. It was, it was fun to win in a way where I was not worried about it going into Monday night. Fantastic. I I think, um, yes, Gary and I both have six 100 point games. So we are tied in the hundred point games department. Nick, who was right up there with us, is now lagging behind. Um, what did you think of this matchup? Anything you want to say about it, or should we just move right along? I was planning moving along, but I, no, obviously, no, I, I don't. I'm not soliciting comments um, because I care. I just didn't want to cut sure. you off with my stats nuggets. No, you were totally cut. You were totally soliciting, and obviously, 133 is very good. No, you, that's not what I wanted. You are so good. Oh my god, you're so good, and you need to respect yourself. The voice is back. And just know that you're very uh, good at fantasy football. If we had a kindness, um, impromptu kindness corner right now, I okay, would say Okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to making fun of Casey. Um, so I had told you that... This is the exact opposite of the spirit <laughs> of the kindness corner and the reason that the kindness corner was instituted. So uh, Abby now has one 100-point game, as I told you, uh, which means that she no longer has zero. There has only been one time in fantasy history that someone has failed to get at least one 100 point game throughout the course of the season. I've already sort of given it away with the uh, title of the segment. Who do you think it is? Also, we've already discussed it on the podcast. Oh shit. It was Casey Johnson. That's not an interesting stats. The second season. Well, then the stats update is that he once again stands alone because Abby has recorded her triple digit score. Way to go, Abby. Sorry, Casey. Uh, Quick look at the standings. We are not, we are no longer a group of three, then three, then three, then one. Uh, things are split up a little bit more now. So we have two six and one teams, Jen at the top, then Gary. We have one five and two team, Nick Spear. We've got two four and three teams, both the Megs. That's nice. Uh, me in the middle, three and four. Then Annalisa and Tim and Casey at two and five. And then finally, Abby Sol on the board, one and six. All right. And next we have another listener question. Uh, again from Gary Muffin as he shows up on my phone and this one is uh, essentially directed towards you Jen Uh, so it seems like it might be time is it about substantive strategy 
Uh, yes, exactly. Just right up your alley. No, it's uh, about stats. Um, oh. So I was thinking maybe it would be time to go to the Genstat Corner. Gary asks, Have I missed the full discussion of the all-time win-loss record? Jen went into more depth in this cast, but I want more info. How many games do we losers need to win to change our overall record? 20-minute podcast be damned. Excellent question, Gary. Um, One of the ridiculous statistics that I started to keep last year, maybe two years ago, was how many games we've won overall in league history uh, against individual people, but also just our own individual win-loss record. So an excellent place to start is with Abby Saul. She is uh, currently currently tied three and three. So she has a tie record. Again, as we discussed earlier. Do you mean 23 and 23? What did I say? Three and three. Abby has won three games and lost three games. That's weird. She's been doing weird, (laughs) weird fantasy football experience. Um, No. So she's tied 23, 23. I apologize. Beginning of a comeback. Um, You, Gary, have 22 wins and 24 losses. So you guys are actually very close in the overall win-loss record. Um, It's very exciting. (laughs) You would uh, have to win three more games to have a winning record. My math right on that, Pep? Indeed. All right. So in case anyone like Gary is curious, uh, we can go through everyone individually. Uh, Feel free to turn this off, tune it out, do whatever. Uh, Annalisa has won 25 games, and she has lost 21 games. So she has a winning record, but it's getting a little bit tight. Uh, Casey needs to win seven games to have. Casey needs to win five, four games, actually, to have a a winning record because he has one tie. Uh, I have 29 wins and 16 losses and one tie, so I got a little bit of cushion. Uh, Meg Collins right there with Casey, 19 and a tie. So she would need to win, uh, five games. Um, my sister, Meg, Megan Murphy has won 25 games and lost 21 games. Nick has won 26 games, lost 19 and tied one. Uh, Tim has won 18 games. Currently actually the, the worst record by one game. Uh, so he would need to win one more match than Casey or Meg Collins. And Patrick has 22 losses, wins, and 24 losses. That is the same record as one Gary Nelson. So from bottom to top, it's Tim, Megan, Collins, and Casey are tied. Gary and Patrick are tied. Then Abby, then Megan Murphy, then Nick. No, then... Megan Murphy and Annalisa are tied, then Nick, then me. I could uh, put that in an email if everybody would like to see the numbers, but uh, that's, that's, that's where we're at. So I hope that answered your question, Gary. I can't imagine that there's anything else about that you would want to know. So pretty much you're saying you're just very good and you're way above 500 and you're the best. I'm not saying that. This is the, this is the, the biggest cushion that I've had, though. When we started the season, I think Annalisa and I were tied. All right. All right, Jen. Well, thank you for taking me to the stats corner. I hope Gary is satisfied and let that be incentive to everyone to continue to strive to reach the mountaintop that Jen is at 
Um, so would you expect us to all like even out to tie records? Is that what should happen? I would say us, I would say I would expect us all to hover around 500. If we had, let's say we had like a hundred seasons, like let's just do it an absurd number of seasons or something. I would expect us to have uh pretty close to 500 records, all of us, because it is a pretty deliberately like beginner friendly league that has a lot of random, random, uh, fluctuation and so i would think that it would there would be certainly some teams would overall do better uh and and continue to climb over time but but it, no one would ever go crazy out of hand i think cool cool so uh with that we'll do a quick look at uh the week eight matches and then we shall be done and scurry off all right let's do it um top of my screen is me and meg collins Theoretically, a, a an emotionally exciting match because this is actually, as you might recall, a rematch of last year's championship game, which really came down to the wire. I vaguely remember something about a missed field goal. Does that sound right? Probably. We were like, Pat and I were like driving back from my parents' house in the car, listening to the game on the radio. It was very tense. And you won. And I won. So? So we're playing each other. It is a little bit hard to say anything about this game because Meg Gallins has her entire team on by. Well, that must be promising for you, Jen. I'm not disappointed by that news. So uh, looking at it, it gives you the advantage in the matchup at every position except for wide receiver two. But again... Many of those positions, she is starting no one. Exactly. Uh, that would be running back one, running back two, defense, and kicker. So she has five out of nine positions actually starting. So that's rough. Did she pick anybody up? Uh, not that I saw. I don't believe so yet. All right. Meg Collins, you're going to need a kicker. You're going to need a defense. Looks like you've got some running backs. Does she have running backs she wants to start? I don't know if she'd be able to pick up anybody that's going to fix that problem for her but maybe um meanwhile my shitty shitty tight end dennis pitta on by he's the pizza i'm gonna say that's an accurate pun thank you (laughs) quite the appreciation of that hilarious remark Uh, meg collins and i i believe we're using my ipad for both the projections and my spreadsheets there's gonna be a little bit of lag time Um, Meg Collins and I have met in the regular season five times and I have been victorious in four of them. So in addition to wanting revenge for last year's championship, wanting to even out the score between us and wanting to prove that even with half of her team taking a nap, she can still win a game. I'm still concerned. I don't know if her fantasy football players know that she has that many motivations. Well, she should let them know. Uh, probably okay uh moving on all right what's the score of the cubs game pat uh we are recording this uh on wednesday and it is currently two zero cubs much oh, hey much better than the first game a lot of the little kiddos in lily's daycare were wearing cub stuff yesterday and today that's very cute it was super cute were you trying to like yell at me for looking at the tv no i just saw that you had it up on the score up on your phone yeah I wanted to know, and I thought it would be cute for me to be all like, what's the Cubs game score? Ooh. <laughs> Way to go. Yeah, I did it. All right. Next uh, matchup that we're going to talk about is the origin of special teams. Tied for number one, uh, Gary Nelson versus uh, Romo and Juliet, Tim Crowley. 
these two, Gary has won three out of the five matchups that they've had with each other. Probably one of the only records where Gary is ahead. And no, I'm kidding. Wow, Jen. It's not. He's, as we, he's as, won almost I know, half I his games. Say, as we discussed. As we discussed. Almost half his games. Sorry, I thought he was Casey for a second. Okay. Mm. We, do we have to do like a seventh installment of Kindness Corner? No. Just like no, you constant don't. Kindness Corner? <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, what, do you, what do you think of this matchup? It looks like they both have almost complete teams. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that uh, it gives such a, with just one spot difference, it gives such a large lead to Tim in this one. Uh, Gary's just missing a defense, and you wouldn't think that would make a huge difference. Can you guys tell we didn't really prep much for the preview? I, I wasn't planning on doing it, but it, it is fun to do. And, and I know, man, the main feedback I hear on this podcast, besides people liking it generally, is that they want to know one match of the week, and they want it to be the same match of the week all week. And what's the fun in that? Well, because we want to be able to look back and be like, how did that match of the week pan out, Pat? Um, all right, well, we're going to have to ramp this up then. Uh, we're going to take this out of the realm of boringly going through what the players are supposed to get. And we're just going to go straight to the hot takes. Uh, what, what is your hot take on this matchup, Pat? My hot take is I will play the part of the USC homer, and I'll say that Carson Palmer will outperform Andrew Luck in this matchup. Go. Was that controversial? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Excellent hot take. Thank you. Moving right along. Call of the field, Megan Murphy versus Incredibly Fast. Patrick Polk, extremely big and incredibly fast. Indeed. Uh, this is this is a good matchup. We got a brother-in-law versus sister-in-law. Indeed. Both fielding complete teams. Whoa. For the time being, uh, apparently, CJ Anderson, who I have in all three leagues, is hurt for several weeks, and ESPN is not cut up to the real time. So I'm going to be down a running back, my number one running back in every league. Projections yeah. rather tight. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling about this one? You think you're going to do it? I'm very nervous because of CJ Anderson. I, I mean, I would have been nervous anyway. It's not like I'm ever like super confident, but I am even more concerned because of CJ Anderson. And it's it's really scarce out there for backup running backs on the waiver wire. You and Megan have uh, played each other four times. Uh, how many of those matchups do you think you've won? Uh, because of your gleeful tone that I detected a little bit, I'm going to say no I, I won one time. You're so correct. Oh, I knew it. See, I can read you like a book. <laughs> well, I'm impressed with either your reading me skills or your intuition about your losing record against my sister. But either way, I'm going to have to get this one to Megan Murphy because this season has clearly not been your season. I wish it weren't so, but it clearly is. Um, Megan, enjoy your victory. Wow, she's guaranteeing it practically. I've told you, hot takes, man. Babe Ruth calling her shot. Hot takes. Oh, that'd be cool. I'm pointing my bat at the winner. Well, he is point, that what he did? He pointed his finger. Why not his bat? I think he was just his finger. Maybe it was his bat. It was probably his bat. I want to look up the picture now. Oh, man. Pat might not anyway, know. Pat hey, you might know not who, know. You know who he was playing against? Hot take. Pat doesn't know anything about sports. You know who he was playing against when he did that? No. Chicago Cubs. One of my coworkers is obsessed with baseball. Thought it was really funny that uh, who is I don't know that one of the African American players on the Cubs is the first Cub African American Cubs player to play in the World Series, and I was like, that's not that interesting because they just haven't been in the World Series in a really long time. Meh. I think it's more just like kind of depressing to think about there not being any African American baseball players because we suck, especially in this year, the year of Trump. Anyway, uh, looks like you got something up on your phone. Did they score? Uh, no, I am. I pulled up. Uh, man, if you search Babe Ruth's called shot, the internet lights up. There's just so much information. It's just like about one it. thing. 
Oh yeah, it's one thing that happened. And uh, as I, I was correct, it was against the Cubs in the World Series. Whoa. So that was in like 1948. No, it wasn't the most recent time before this year. It was 1932. Oh, so they were they were in the World Series a bunch. Well, they were. Yeah, back in the like aughts and tens and twenties and thirties. <laughs> sure, the good old days. So anyway, uh, here we go. Let's see if he pointed his bat or his finger. I hope you all at home have predictions. I mean, I bet a, a lot of people know. Babe Ruth's called home run shot 1932 World Series is a 47-minute video. Just kidding. Well, that was not... There's no pointing before that. Can we talk about how that man ran? He ran like an overweight grandmother. He, like, pranced. He, he waddle pranced. <laughs> oh, my good Lord. Babe Ruth was a rotund man. Why, how was he so good? It's amazing. And he was also a pitcher. He was very good at batting, and he it, was a good pitcher. Is it just because older sports, like old-timey sports, didn't have as much talent? Uh, I mean, I think that's partially, like a lot of people obviously point to sports pre-integration as like a, a diluted talent pool. Bringing it full circle. Uh, but he was obviously freakishly good. He was a tubby, tubby man. But he could hit home runs like nothing. He had the record for a very well, long time. How fast were pitches then? Uh, I mean, man, you're really stretching my baseball knowledge. Also, this is a fancy football podcast. You want to know my favorite baseball fact? Sure. Do you already know it? Uh, no. One of my favorite baseball facts is that all professional baseball players have like better than 20-20 vision. Oh, yeah. I did know that. I think I told you that. I think we heard it together on a podcast. But yeah, it's a thing like, they, you know, they're almost every, if you're going to be like competent at hitting big league pitching, you pretty much have to be able to see the seams on the baseball as it flies at you at 100 miles an hour. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard, all of you that didn't already know that? It is nutty. Yeah, that's nuts. Like, you know, you can be as good as you want, but unless you got freaking perfect vision, it's just not happening for you. I love it. Yep. Anyway, so play uh, Pointed with his finger. That video was uh, kind of fun, kind of not the most useful. They just had like a very grainy photo of the actual pointing, and the video did not actually show it, but it was definitely his finger. But I got to see his run, and that's what's important. I'm glad you've seen Babe Ruth run now. He also, another thing you don't know about baseball is that they... How do you know I don't know it? Okay, tell me if you know this. Uh, They used like super thick, heavy bats back then. Like they... like. When people, like, current professional baseball players hold, like, a Babe Ruth bat, they're like, Jesus, this thing's like a log. It's so fat and stubby. Because they were just solid wood, right? Well, they're still solid wood. They're required to be. They just used heavier wood? No, they used, like, way thick, like, super thick handle. It was just, like, a thick, solid trunk of wood. It was so, it's just a lot thicker and heavier. Huh. Yeah. Weird, right? Anyway, so, uh, moving right along. Thank you for that little... Uh, that should be our new segment. We should copy John Rhodes, and it should be learn anything cool lately. Sure. Uh, Jen would be referencing John Rhodes' podcast, which I'm confident none of you have listened to, and he asks, eat anything good lately? At That's the his be- opening question. Yeah, to every guest. Anyway, that was really something. <laughs> Let's move on. No, I won't do it, apparently. <laughs> you were swatted, and was, it was deserved. I was swatted, and it was not deserved. It was very light swatting. All right. Of Ray Rice and Big Ben, Nick Spear versus Casey Johnson, Diary of a Bear, 
certainly the match that's going to have the most profane smack talk via text message this weekend. I sure hope so, Jen. I wish we could all be a fly on the phone for that. I don't think that's a saying, Jen. (laughs) What? (laughs) I kind of liked it. Anyway. um, A fly could read it. Can a fly read? Can can a fly know what's going on in the wall of a situation? I feel like it's more likely for a fly to verbally understand English than to be able to read English. Yes, this debate makes (laughs) complete sense. Anyway. All right. So um, it looks like we've got complete teams. Whoa. Way to go, guys. And a a rather tight projection. Yeah. You know what that means? Casey's projected to lose this one by just a few points. Uh, So we got a close match. We've got a couple of swell dudes. Uh, We've got uh, probably good digital smack talk. I'm going to label this one and only this one for an entire seven-day span. The match of the week. How the stakes have fallen. We've gone from like number one versus number two, number one versus number two to Nick versus Casey. Okay, first of all, that's mean. I, I'm kidding. Second of all, oh, I'm in, I'm in first place Is your place match now. of the week always just the closest projection? Because you yourself talk about how the SPN projections are a little bit ridiculous. It is not. If you recall, a Battle of the Megs was one. And Sister Battle is one, and Rankings Based is one. It's definitely far from always the closest one. Okay. Well, all right. So this is the match of the week. Who who, who do you think is going to pull it out? As you said, it is projected to be very close. Is that a thing? What? Pull it out? Yeah. Okay. Um, I will say, man, oh, you know, uh, Casey Johnson, he wanted me to talk about this on the podcast, actually, so it's uh, now that I'm looking Rob at Rob Barkowski? No, in fact. He was so proud of himself for picking up Ty Montgomery, the uh, Green Bay Packer wide receiver slash running back, who is a good pass-catching running back, and uh, so he picked him up right before I played him last week, and he is so proud of himself, and he's been the hot pickup of the week and so he was already taken early, so people can do it because Casey already did it. So way to go, Casey Johnson, Ty Montgomery. So uh, they only have him projected for 8.2 points, and I say he's going to blow up against Atlanta's soft, soft defense, and Casey Johnson's going to pull out the win. Whoa, that is a searing hot take. Can you briefly summarize for our podcasting audience the article that you sent me about one Rob Gronkowski? <laughs> There's an article today on The Ringer, uh, the way inferior reincarnation of Grantland. Um, but it does have some of the same writers, including Shea Serrano, who's in this article, um, about what Rob Gronkowski is going to do when he scores his 69th touchdown because he's currently sitting at 68. And uh, if you know anything about Rob Gronkowski besides the fact that he's very big and good at football, you know that he is a ridiculous party animal. And uh, they hypothesized what will happen when Rob Gronkowski scores his 69th touchdown. And it was apocalyptic. Uh, it was something special. I really enjoyed it. It was really funny. So that's another reason for Casey to potentially take this matchup. Yeah, you want. Yeah, I want Rob Gronkowski to score his 69th touchdown and then develop magical power so that he can wish things in and out of existence. Oh, jeez. That's what happened. In the, in the article? Why? But it was, it was only when he was on his 69th touchdown. He accidentally scored a 70th touchdown and then he lost his magical powers. You're very invested in this narrative. It was really good. All right. Well, moving on. We have... The matchup of two former titans of the league who have just been a bit on the struggle bus this season. Abby Saul, Annalisa Johnson, a lot of talent in this matchup. 
these owners do not play. They both want this victory. What do you think? I think the more important thing, actually, man, I'm nearly regretting my match of the week instantly because this is obviously the Jane Austen match of the week. Oh, shit. Um, but uh, I, I do want to point out, speaking of Jane Austen, so we, of course, we have Punt and Prejudice versus Sense and Penalty. Well, Pride and Prejudice is better, so I guess Abby's going to win. Um, but uh, They're actually the same book, really. I'm sure everyone knows that. Well, maybe just Abby knows that. Uh, Sense and Sensibility was like the rough draft of Pride and Prejudice, basically. Um, so I just want to say, during the podcast that I recorded with Abby, which you will be hearing immediately after this, we talked about everyone's books. And so we talked. To, she went by publishing order, and we talked about Jane Austen. And I grilled her a little bit on uh, the... Pro, the productivity uh, of how prolific uh, Jane Austen was in a short time span. And so I have a little follow-up trivia uh, on that, that that Abby provided after we recorded. And specifically, she had uh, six books. Uh, she died in 1817. She had four amazing books between 1811 and 1815, and then two were uh, published posthumously. So six books between 1811 and 1818, and like four of them are all-time classics. So that's a pretty amazing span. Uh, way to go, Jane Austen. Although, Abby, as the person with the inside scoop on uh, publishing, and she looked it up a little bit, she had obviously pre-written a lot of that. Uh, you know, it wasn't like she actually wrote them in real time as they were published because, you know, it took a while to get them published. But still, very impressive span. Way to go, Jane Austen. And sorry, Abby, to undercut your part of the podcast a little bit in the second half of this thing. Anyway... I'm surprised you needed to have any of that explained to you because, as you might recall, we did have Jane Austen trivia when we were in Bar Trivia with Meg and Nick. Yeah, and I knew vaguely that she had put out about six books in a kind of a short time span, but I didn't know the details, and it was fun. So anyway, let's look at the actual matchup instead of the Wikipedia article about Jane Austen. I just wanted to check some publishing dates. I already just told you them. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, we've got a, a mostly complete matchup. Uh, Abby is completely complete, and Annalisa is mostly complete, and it's giving a pretty sizable advantage to Abby, and I'm going to say Abby is going to keep the wind train rolling! I do like the uh, Abby comeback narrative. Yeah. It's very compelling. Excellent. Well, that does it for the Week 8 preview, does it not? I think it does. Excellent. Well... Uh, in that case, I, I want to thank you for your time and I want to thank the listeners for their listening and I want to thank the talkers for the talking and the players for the playing and the coaches for the coaching and everything's great. Uh, anything else, Jen? Mm, I don't think so. Oh, wait, have you, have you learned anything fun lately? Um, I mean, we just talked about Babe Ruth. I'm feel kind of put on the spot. You're always finding fun facts. Uh, oh, wait, are we not having a kindness corner? Or uh, you did that You did that in your interview with Abby. Yeah, kindness corner is done. We did it. So thank you, everyone. And uh, have a lovely time. Bye. Bye. Hello again. This is the Fancy Fantasy Football Podcast. And this is your host and commissioner, Patrick Bulk. And I'm here again with a special guest, a new special guest. We're on a parade of special guests. With me here is Abby Saul. Say hello, Abby. Hello, Abby. Good job. <laughs> um, so, Abby is here. Uh, we are currently, it is October 23rd. We are mid-week seven. There's a baby crying in the background. Poor Lily. Poor Lily. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be picking up or not. Anyway, unfortunately, she's not very happy right now. Not 
Abby, the baby. Um, so we are not going to focus too much on the matchups for this one. We have a special uh, segment planned, and I, I just off the bat, I want to give a disclaimer. So essentially nothing I've done has been original or creative. Uh, the entire podcast itself was copied off of John Rhodes doing a podcast for his Fantasy Football League. Mm. And uh, this idea that you might think is copying is Abby comparing each of the teams to a specific thing that she likes, uh, which has been done by Nick and Meg, but they did it after Abby suggested doing it herself. She's been talking about coming on the show for a long time and had this specific ID- idea, and so then I mentioned it to Nick. I, I came, I sprung it on Nick, and then Meg did it after Nick did it. So really, it was all Abby's idea. This whole show is John Rhodes' idea, so I'm just a <laughs> conduit for other people's ideas. Uh, so don't send in user listener emails saying that Abby's not creative because she is. I'm tremendously creative, but I also like to prepare before I do anything. And I think that's probably why it also has taken me a while to get to the point where I'm ready to make the comparisons that I'm going to make. Well, also, I mean, it's just scheduling, you know, right? Totally finding a time. So anyway, without further ado, we will uh, proceed specifically what uh what sort of comparisons do you plan on making abby well so um people in the listening audience might know that i um do like books very much and so i've prepared really a book report um for each team comparing the team and sometimes the team manager um to the book that everyone has chosen um for their team name this year because our theme is classic literature so uh, nice. Uh, and so are you comparing, just out of curiosity, so so mm-hmm. it's obviously the individual book that the person chose for their title. Yes. Um, and you said you're comparing them to the team and the owner, essentially. Yes. So is this uh, the in the history of Fancy, or is it just the 2016 season you you're know, focusing it's on? It's mostly focusing just on uh, 2016, though I think some of them maybe look more at like team history, but it's mostly, it's really not very football specific. Um, it's kind of more like the vibe that your team gives me, which really is a bit of what Meg Collins did as well, I think, with the reality shows, too. So excellent. That's where I am. All right, then. Let's uh, go. Let's <laughs> go right to it. So uh, I don't know if you have an order planned out. I, or... I do have an order. Excellent. I'll just <laughs> I'm just going to be gliding along uh, effortlessly, not really contributing. Excellent. Fire away. I love it. Um, so the order that I chose was publication date. From most recent to most distant right now. Excellent. I'm very excited. Yes. So um, that actually means, Pat, that we start with you. Uh, It is a pretty new book. Right. Um, Extremely big and incredibly fast, of course, is um, the book Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer. And it was published in 2005. Yes, it is. I'm really excited because it's about... 9-11 9-11 and and I just hope that this doesn't go down a dark road <laughs> not a lot of sorrow in my analysis of you I, I believe we, you I'll leave that to your interpretation good um so extremely loud and incredibly close was one of the first novels to deal with 9-11 um post 9-11 of course through the eyes of a New Yorker and it's also one of the most popular 9-11 novels. Um, and for those who don't know, and this is not a book that I've read, and it was interesting compiling this because I am a big reader of books and I have not read many of the books that we have chosen to just have our team. So that's funny. Um, but it's about um, Oscar, who is a nine-year-old boy who's kind of rushing about New York um, unsuccessfully, sadly, trying to find the secret behind a key of his dead father's, and his father died in 9-11. Spoilers. Mm, so, but it's a bummer. It's a bummer, you guys. Um, but 
Fower, the author, um, he really tackles the 9-11 subject head on from everything I've read about this book. Um, and that reminds me of you, Pat, because <laughs> you have been our fearless and enthusiastic commissioner um, year after year. And you look at the stats and you look at the records um, and you look them really kind of straight in the eye, even when they don't necessarily just tell you nice things about your own team mm -hmm. <laughs> um and I think also like Oscar you seem determined to find the key to maybe football success and you know so far have not been extremely successful though I again couching all of this with a big I'm not one to talk because I'm having a horrible season but um I do think that you have cracked the code of making fantasy football super fun for the rest of us. And so I appreciate that. Well, that's good. That's the main thing, right? I mean, my personal success <laughs> while a sought after goal is, of course, secondary to the overall health of the league. So Absolutely. thank you very much. Yes. But, if, you know, podcasts and, and great emails, you're doing a great job. Um, and so the other thing that I've done, so that really is your team in the book. That's how I say. Um, but I've chosen also a quote from each book that kind of sums everything up. Um, it sums your team up. And your quote, your summarizing quote is, I've never confused what I had with what I was. All right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. It's a really a thinker. It's a yeah. book report, you guys. Um, up next is Jen Murphy, who's oh. walking through eating a bit of cheese, wow, I believe. That's a pretty big jump in time. It is. We really went classic with this yeah. um, a little bit more than maybe you did, though I will say that is a 9-11 classic. I'm not challenging your choice of book. And Jen changed it. Jen was the person who had the theme idea, changed it from classic literature to books in general. There you go. And the two of us obviously apparently took that most to heart. Yeah, I think that's probably the case, yes. Anyway, go ahead. So Jen is Paddington Bear's. Um, and obviously Paddington Bear is a character, but I chose to look at a bear called Paddington, which is the first Paddington Bear book. Um, and that is written by Michael Bond in 1958. And it is um, a thoroughly charming set of stories about a cute little bear. I think we all are familiar with Paddington Bear. But Paddington is just trying to do right in the world. Um, he often misunderstands things, and that leads to some misadventures. But he always ends up fine, and he's always charming. Um, and he's also just wildly popular as like a symbol of England now. He's an enduring character for adults and children. Um, in looking up some information, I found out that apparently Gwen Stefani and Pharrell Williams released a song about Paddington Bear. Oh, that was that movie. I kind of thought that they just did it for themselves but it was for the movie, so that makes more sense to that me now. That does make sense. At this exact moment in time. Um, so Jen, of course, has had a consistently strong team. Um, and I think that Jen herself often kind of charmingly misunderstands that she's going to be a very strong contender and do well. Um, and I think that has come out this season in particular with her like high stress going into Monday nights, even though she's won pretty much every matchup. She she does stress out about her success, it's true. Right, so I think that's like her kind of football misadventure. Um, but I think also, you know, Paddington determines to do right, and he is kind of ongoingly popular, and I think Jen usually comes out on top, and she's having another strong season this year. Also both big on rain boots. Yes, and both just, you know, super cute. So that's great. Indeed. Um, and my summarizing quote for the Paddington Bears and Jen Murphy is, I'm not a criminal, said Paddington hotly. I'm a bear. <laughs> and that's both all those things are true about jen there you go <laughs> so up next is nick spear of ray rice and big ben which is of mice and men written by john steinbeck of course and that was published in 1937 and this is really not a super happy book it's really not happy yeah, it's no. not super happy um it's the great depression 
There's accidental animal and human murder. There's deliberate animal and human murder. Um, but certainly, it's also about strength and brotherly love. Um, and and, and it's, the mentally handicapped. Yeah, you know, and the mentally handicapped. And because mm. of its kind of darker themes and exploration of certain things, um, it hasn't had a clear publication path. Um, and it's often banned from schools for like language and dark themes. But in spite of that kind of difficult publication path, um, like a mouse in the walls, it's burrowed its way into popular culture. It's often, it has had movies made about it. It's, it's often referenced. I think, again, this is not one that I've read, but I'm very familiar with that kind of final scene of Lenny smothering a puppy and then a woman. Um, yeah. And so Nick, I think similarly, has really made a home for himself in our league. Um, he's having a great <laughs> year. <laughs> Can we go over that transition again? Yes. So I, what I so mean you is, said you're I think familiar with the last scene, right? With Lenny smothering because the puppy because it's so part of woman. popular culture. Similarly, similarly, Nick is right at home. <laughs> <laughs> similarly, Nick is such a vital part of our league. Do you see what I mean? Like it's really kind of made a home for itself in our popular culture. <laughs> sure. And so has Nick. Yes. Okay. And so he's having a really great year. But I, I do feel like Nick should remember... Not to smother people. ...to hold the puppy of first place in his hands very kind of gently. And already it's been taken he, It has from been Gary, wrenched from his right? grasp. So it's very yeah. easy to break Victory's neck, if you will. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, so my summarizing quote for him is, As happens sometimes, a moment settled and hovered and remained for much more than a moment. So I think he's having a very strong moment right now, um, but... He's being challenged by Jen as we speak, and he, sure he you know, was defeated by Gary, as we all know. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, and who's next? Well, we're next. We have Meg Collins um, and her team, AJ of Green Gables, which, of course, is Anne of Green Gables, which was written by Ellen Montgomery and published in 1908. And so I think most people are fairly familiar with Anne of Green Gables, at least the image of the kind of lovely redhead with two braided pigtails and so I mostly just want to say that Megan and Ann are two lovely redheads and just be done can I do that I mean it wouldn't seemingly be fair to okay. Meg compared to the rest of the league, well but. then I will also admit that anticipating that response I did look up um, AJ Green who I am not familiar with at all but seemed important um, because Meg chose him for her whole name basically um and um, he seems to be a, quite a bit like Anne of Green Gables, actually. Um, he's a very hard worker. Um, he apparently knows how to juggle up to four things, according to Wikipedia. I did not know that. He was on his um, high school juggling team, apparently. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and it doesn't like go with like your image of a jock, like who must have been an, a super elite jock at the high school level, and yet he's like super into juggling. Right, also super juggled. Um, and he... Seems, I mean, I may be mistaken in my very quick research of him, but he seems to have like pretty much stayed out of trouble and like been on the straight and narrow. As far as I know. And um, he married his longtime girlfriend. And so he just seems like a good, hardworking guy. Um, and Anne and her longtime boyfriend, Gilbert, get married in the books. So, um, so I think it's, you know, anyway, AJ Green and Anne of Green Gables team, I could make comparisons between them. And I also think just that, like, it's a solidly popular and beloved book. And I think Meg, again, is a, a fantastic part of our league, of course. And her team and performance record is also, like, solid. She's always doing a relatively good job. She has her ups and downs, of course. But as we all do, again, I'm not one to talk. I'm having a horrible season. 
I, it sounds like you're just insulting everyone. You're really, this is the uh, <laughs> smack talk corner. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to institute a kindness corner at the end of this after you just say, oh, everyone's bad at football except for me. My name's Abby and I'm good at football. <laughs> I think I've said that a lot of times, actually. It's, it's been on painfully this. clear. It's just that I'm having just like the best season of all time. I've really proven myself to be great. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I can insult most people. And so here's my summarizing quote from Meg, which is not insulting actually at all. Hopefully um, it says, dear old world, she murmured, you are very lovely and I'm glad to be alive in you. That's nice. Mm-hmm. I can be nice. Sometimes. Indeed. All right. What do you got? <laughs> Up next is um, Megan Murphy and Call of the Field, which of course is Call of the Wild by Jack London, which was published in 1903. <clears throat> and the winning team name, right? Indeed. I have to also say, so, you know, a lot of these are like high school books and I've read some of them and I haven't read others. Um, a lot of them are a lot older than I would have guessed. Like I would have guessed like a lot of these like eh, 20s through 50s and I'm like, no, 03, yeah, 08. Like, we're instantly into the yeah. 1900s in this thing and there's still older books to come, which is amazing to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. When Gary and I were talking a little bit, I had done, Gary did not get all this research, but I was talking to him about doing it in publication order and he thought he would be like the oldest one with his. And I was like, oh no, my friend, like there are way older ones. So anyway, I knew nothing about Call of the Wild really at all. I think I had kind of a general idea in my head about it. Um, And so I really looked this one up um, and it is the story of a dog, a St. Bernard um, named Buck, who is stolen from his home and he grows progressively more wild. He's succumbing to the Call of the Wild um, and he needs to become very feral to survive and beat other dogs. Um, he has several human masters kind of throughout the course of the book and the course of his adventures. And his final master, John, he loves, who's this great outdoorsman. Um, but he ends up being killed by quote unquote natives. And then Buck kills all the natives in revenge. Ouch. So it's just like Star Wars episode three. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anakin just going crazy on those. Tuscan Raiders. Yes, exactly. Yep. So the whole, Buck, the whole village. Buck goes nuts, and then he fights a bunch of wolves and becomes their wolf pack leader. And then he also, the, I think, the story ends with him revisiting the site of his beloved master's death um, until he dies, and then he comes back as a ghost. Call of the Wild. <laughs> All right. Um, I get, man. I feel like uh, just heavy spoiler alert for everything yes, there's just really no, sorry guys there's you've no had, holding back for these hundred year old books you've had a hundred and many years these are no longer <laughs> copyrighted you can get them for free anywhere i mean you know it's that's really on you i put that back on you it's fair anyway okay so, <laughs> so moral of the story i feel is don't mess with megan murphy yeah that's um, true she will she avenge. started she started as this team special and beloved pet you know as the champion i think um and she has had to fight a bit dirtier having fallen out of that top spot, um, but nature will tell for sure. And so we should, I think, just all of us watch our backs. How is she dirty? I don't think she's fighting dirty, but I think she has to fight. <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to insult anyone or call anyone dirty. You're picking a lot of fights. I'm just saying that when you're no longer in that top spot and you've had that sweet taste of success, I think you're going to do what you can to get back there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so here's my summarizing quote from the book. He had learned well the law of club and fang, and he never forwent an advantage or drew back from a foe he had started on the way to death. Watch out, Meg Murphy. Dang you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Loud Sioux, dog edition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just it blew my mind. I didn't know Call of the Wild. I knew it was about a dog, I guess. I didn't know it was really about a, super a crazy, crazy dog. Revenge dog. Yes, a super crazy revenge dog. Okay, up next we have um, Gary on the origin of special teams and all the rest of it. 
um, which of course is on the origin of species and all the rest of it. And that is by Charles Darwin in 1859. I'm going to need both the full fake title and the full real title. Um, okay. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> um, I think because uh, really everyone needs to appreciate the, the depth of Gary's cleverness. And so we need a side by side comparison here of his team name <laughs> and the full title by Mr. Darwin or Sir Darwin. Probably Sir Darwin. I'm I think say. he is Sir Darwin. Yeah. Oh, OK. I have it. <clears throat> the complete book title is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. And Gary's full team name is On the Origin of Special Teams by the Means of Unnatural Selection or The Preservation of Illogically Favored Players in the Struggle for Last Place. How ironic currently residing directly at the top of the league. Maybe that's the good luck he gave himself is by just assuming all bad things in your title of your team. Indeed. All right, so <clears throat> let's compare. Okay, Gary. so <clears throat> again, I think this is one we are all again not a book I have read. I don't know that many of us have actually sat down and read this book. Um but it is the foundation of Darwin's theory and thus of evolutionary biology. It had a very mixed reception and continues to have that, especially in religious circles. But really, I think the most obvious comparison here is Gary's kind of current record. He has evolved and we've all witnessed it this year. So he's also a Pokemon. Um, yes, mm-hmm, of course. As a biology major, lifelong science dork, I just have to say like a little bit of a cl- <laughs> clenching of the throat uh, when you say that it has a mis- currently still has a mixed reception, I'm just going to say. That well, the- I know, and I'm not. I mean, I'm not pleased of that mm-hmm. either. I'm not. I'm certainly not an opponent of this, but I, it's very sad in this day and age that that is the case. I agree. It's a bummer. All right. It's a bummer. Anyway, cool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what what evolution of uh, Evie is so, Gary? Um, he has had to um, struggle to survive and exist. I think in this team, but this fourth variation of his team really has kind of succeeded on the natural selection front. And I don't know exactly if that is um, Gary having kind of gone through the the Finch's beaks of too many quarterbacks, not scoring a lot of points, choosing not great players. Um, but he's really somehow this year, he, he certainly has evolved and kind of figured things out. He chose a great team. He's fielding great people. I will say from personal experience, since he is my roommate, that um, we – he often is checking this more, I think, than he has in years past. And so maybe it's also just evolving towards a great interest in fantasy football. I'm not exactly sure. And so, you know, normally a, a, a bias of the modern, you know, as a modern human, we prefer to think of evolution as a like progress. You know, it's mm-hmm. change over time that results in what is currently the best version of everyone. Uh, it is It is one direction and that is towards the greater complexity and greater, you know, significance. So is Gary uh, going to devolve or is he just purely all about progress? That's a very good question. I mean, I think that certainly for this season, I think he's all about progress. I think he has had a strong start and is going to keep that up. Um, Will his personal interest be this high next year? And so will he do as well next year? I don't know the answer to that yet. We'll have to see what happens. All right. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. see what happens. So my summarizing quote from this book is, 
um, quote, one general law leading to the advancement of all organic beings, namely multiply, vary, let the strongest live and the weakest die. Hashtag the weakest, football. The weakest die. <laughs> okay, so then up next is me. And my book is Punt and Prejudice. My team is Punt and Prejudice. My book is Pride and Prejudice, which is, of course, by Jane Austen and is written in 1813, which, again, I'm an English major and that date surprised me, that seems... Yeah, I mean, both I, earlier and later than expected. Yeah, like I definitely would have said 1800s, but I would have not, had no idea, like right towards the beginning of the 1800s. Yeah, right, right in there. So um, I looked particularly at the publication history of this one. And again, this is my um, area of expertise and endlessly fascinating to me because these were published in interesting ways. But particularly, Pride and Prejudice was published to favorable reviews initially. Um, but then Charlotte Bronte said it was a quote unquote disappointment. Um, and more recently, certainly, several BBC and other polls have named it the most beloved book of all time. So, you know, Charlotte Bronte couldn't keep this down, but um, it did have kind of a mixed so, a mixed reception. Like single-handedly sink it for, like, decades and decades, though? It didn't, no. I mean, it had, it had a... It did not do as well as Sense and Sensibility, interestingly, which we can talk about when we get to Annalisa. Um, but it published very strongly. Um, her publisher was a little more kind of... Um, hesitant about it um, and so did just a very small print run at first which um, sold out Charlotte Bronte gave it a bad review they did a smaller print run for the round two but then that also sold out and then they kind of just like went on their way and again it's been an enduring classic I think it's been in print since 1813 which is pretty impressive I liked her early work before she was cool exactly her publisher was like also like Mariner Publishers or something. It was something that had nothing to do with novels and I'm not really sure how she got into business with them but it all worked out for her. So cool. that's fine. So um, I'm choosing to believe that I'm in the bad review from a Bronte stage of my football publishing life um, with my current loss record. Who's your Bronte? I like Charlotte best, I think. No, I'm saying who is she? Who is the person keeping you down? Oh, I see. I'm probably myself <laughs> and a general lack of doing anything except for looking at ESPN projections week by week. Yeah, I mean, it's a start. It's, it's, ha- it's served me well in the past. Served me fine in the past. I guess I've always been kind of like top, top middle of football. And now I'm certainly like very resoundedly at the bottom this, this season. But, you know, I think 200 years from now, we'll probably look back and, and I all agree that my team is like a beloved favorite. Yeah, like, oh right? man, I love all those players. I can't believe they had that one. They're they're great all, every single it's one so of them. It's so good. If we took a poll right now, be like number one. Most beloved fantasy <laughs> Most football beloved. team of all time. Right? I'm the best. That's it. And I am winning right now. I can say that I'm like, I have a little more confidence coming into this podcast because I think I am going to win my matchup this week for the first time this whole season. So. Boom. We'll see On what happens. Mm-hmm. So my summarizing quote from the book for this particular season is the more I see of the world, the more am I dissatisfied with it. <laughs> it hasn't been great, you guys. It's, yeah, I could see. I could see how you'd feel that way. Mm-hmm. All so right. Up next is Annalisa and Sense and Penalty, which is Sense and Sensibility. Also, Jane Austen, published in 1811. Um, it is the story of the Dashwood sisters and whether sense or practicality or sensibility and emotionality is the better path. Um, and both sisters end up happily married and happy in their lives. Um, and so the book seems to support a kind of needing a healthy dose of both in your life. Um, and I think that Annalisa's like, overall strong record shows that she has like really good sense in terms of football. And I think sometimes um, sensibility 
comes in in terms of like her devotion to Aaron Rodgers, who again, I don't know very much about football. My impression from some looking online and kind of general performance this year is that he's been a bit of a disappointment to those who love Aaron Rodgers. Um, it's true so far uh, until <laughs> week six, essentially he was definitely specifically disappointing. And then he definitely did turning playing against the bears. Apparently fixes what ails you. Oh, well, there you go. Um, but, but yeah, so he's been disappointing. Team. Yeah, but we'll see. Right. So who knows? So I think, you know, she'll continue to embrace both sides. I think you have to have kind of, some good emotion in this as well. Um, but I think, you know, listening still to her football sense, she will do very well. As Excellent. Always. Mm-hmm. And so my summarizing quote is, I will be calm. I will be mistress of myself because that strikes me very much like you, Annalisa. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so just a side trivia question then. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to, not if you don't know, it's cool. <laughs> I'll not, I'm putting you on the spot. So you said 1811, 1813, two major works by Jane Austen. Yes. Very close together. How many books did she put out in how long of a span? I think she published five. I believe it's five total. And I think they were all published very close together. Um, I think she did not live a tremendously long time. And so I'm pretty sure it was. um, I think Sensibility was maybe book two. I think Northanger Abbey is book one, I believe. Um, And then all the way up to Persuasion, which I believe is the last book. Um, And so I think that probably was maybe by like... 1820s the last book yeah mm-hmm. so crazy run very crazy but that i i again was i too was struck by sense and sensibility and pride and prejudice being two years apart from each other yeah and like again sense and sensibility is also listed as like people really like that book a lot too so good job on elisa i didn't mention that i mentioned that for myself and jane austen also mm-hmm. good on you mm-hmm. well done jane austen <laughs> <coughs> she doesn't get enough credit obviously people, You're right. people really don't even know people don't even know about unloved her. author Okay, we're coming into the final stretch, and um, we have Tim. We have now jumped back to Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet, William Shakespeare, 1597. So Gary thought that origin of the I think he didn't, species. at the moment of saying that, remember that Romeo and Juliet was an option. Cool. Um, he is also an English major, so he, when I said Romeo and Juliet, he was like, oh, yes, of course. But I think the rest of it kind of blew his mind. Though, again, 1597... Um, I think a lot of people think of Shakespeare in the 1600s, if you think of Shakespeare at all. Um, but probably Romeo and Juliet was actually written a little earlier. That's just 1597 is the first folio of Shakespeare. So that's the publication date I'm going with. Seems fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you got? Okay, so Romeo and Juliet is, of course, the classic tale of true love and total heartbreak. And I think that kind of sums up Tim's fantasy football experience, um, especially in our league. I know you play other leagues, Tim, Tim but... Um, I think that's kind of where we are. You lost to his, he lost to his now wife in season one um, and had to, in fact, endure the presentation of the trophy at his own wedding um, and kind of have that rubbed in. A Whoever bit. did that was a jerk. Yeah, geez, what a, what a dick move. Um, and I think that he hasn't been great year to year in general. Again, speaking as someone who is at the bottom of the pack right now, I'm one to talk, but my impression is that you've been on the lower half, Tim. Uh, yeah, according to Jen Stads, currently losingest team in the league cumulatively. Mm. Um, not that that's not there's anything wrong with that. Someone has to be at the bottom, and currently Tim happens to reside in a close race for the bottom. We're all <laughs> we're all driving down there. The to six the of us who have a losing record are all really neck and neck. Right, but it happens to be Tim right now. But it feels a little uh, tragic to me because I just I think that you know like. When I'm not winning football, it doesn't really matter because I'm delighted to be part of this league. I'm having a lot of fun. 
but football I don't care very much about. And I know Tim like really loves the Cowboys, and my impression also is that they are not a fantastic team. They don't win a lot. Well, interestingly, hmm. uh, hopes were very suppressed this year because they lost their quarterback and their star wide receiver. Oh. But then they've been doing kind of great. Oh, well, uh, then congrats, Tim. Yeah, so, it's surprisingly solid season considering the massive injury problems they have to overcome. Well, that's great. Then that's good. You know, there's a silver lining to every tragic story, right? There is true love. And I'm glad that you're staying supportive of your true love of the Cowboys, Tim. Um, so Suicide. <laughs> also darkness and sorrow. And so, again, I don't, I don't think that anyone... I'm, again, I'm not one to talk about people having a tragic season. It just does seem that... Tim, who is a lover of football and who certainly, like, I think I suffered this year because I typically have sat next to Tim at the draft and he gives me some sound football advice and that did not happen this year. And I think that maybe is one of the reasons that my team is doing as badly as it is. I thought you were going to say that's the reason why he's struggling. Like, (laughs) he probably karmically should have given me advice and therefore the football gods are frowning upon him and giving him a poor record. No, (laughs) I think that I suffered, but I also think that like he just strikes me as someone to turn to for football advice and then he maybe isn't doing fantastic at fantasy year after year. So um, my summarizing quote for you, Tim, is um, under love's heavy burden, do I sink? Though apparently if you if your true love is the Cowboys, then you're going to just rise up to the top and that would be great. Yeah, as I said, surprisingly solid considering the Cowboys, not Tim. (laughs) Tim you're doing great yep um okay so last and certainly not least is Casey Johnson and you are last Casey Johnson because I maybe you know Pat and maybe I'm just being extremely dense about a diary of Anne Frank reference but I don't know what the diary of a bear refers to my guess because he also likes to insult the bears uh, and again, the explicitly in the email chain, it was said to be about books in general, and it wasn't sticking with classic literature. Okay. My complete guess, I actually can't believe I haven't asked him directly, is he was going for Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Oh, interesting. Uh, because uh, Both because it's a book title and because it, he's comparing the bears to a wimpy kid. But maybe not. I don't know. Well, so, you know, Casey, we'll need you to tell us what your book is at some point. Yeah, because Diary of a uh, Blah right. would not fit with Anne Frank. Well, that's what I... Right. I, the, I thought it was going to be a really bad Diary of Anne Frank reference if that's what was happening. Like it's a certainly, lazy. certainly poorly uh, punctuated yes. and capitalized. <laughs> yes, as we all feel. And that does drive me nuts. And I will say in my notes for this, I did punctuate it the way I wanted or capitalized it the way I wanted to because I will not do that to myself. Yeah. Casey Give more respect for yourself. the worst. I do. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, so... It was a big kind of mystery for me. And so much like Casey Johnson with his team name kind of shrouded in mystery, um, I've chosen to compare his team to the most mysterious of books, the first book, um, which is the Roman Codex, which we actually don't know very much about as historians and lovers of books. So I found this passage from the BBC about its mysterious origin that I'm going to read now, if that's okay. I'm very excited. I don't (laughs) know anything about it. Um, So sometime in... Or before the first century CE, a new kind of book appeared that promised to address the scroll's shortcomings. And this is Abby talking now. The scroll was what it was before. Um, And then suddenly they found something that was not a scroll. Um, So back to the BBC. 
The evidence is sparse, but telling archaeologists have discovered a few key scraps of papyrus whose text unexpectedly continues from the front to the back and whose neat margins one might expect to find in a paged book. That is exactly what these fragments are. They are leaves from the first page book the world has ever seen. We know that the Romans called this new kind of book the Codex. Um, But how the Codex came to be in the first place is shrouded in mystery. The first written mention of the Codex appears in the words of a Roman poet named Marshall, who encouraged his readers to buy his books in this new paged format. Quote, You who long for my little books to be with you everywhere and want to have companions for a long journey, buy these ones which parchment parchment confines within small pages. Give your scroll cases to the great authors. One hand can hold me. End of quote. And so I just feel like that really kind of sums up Casey's team. Um, I think his win record can be very safely held in one hand. That is a burn of a book type. There you go. But I also think that like a great companion for a long journey is Casey himself. And I, you know, there you go. So true. Uh, <laughs> while while uh, Abby was talking, you know, just, just in case, uh, I pulled up the Wikipedia article oh, about excellent. Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I've... Of course, I'm familiar with its existence, but haven't read it. Uh, so it uh, first appeared on Funbrain in 2004, where it was read 20 million times and then turned into a hardcover book. Uh, Published by Scholastic, I believe. Ooh. Well, it doesn't say right here, but probably. And uh, in 2007, and then a film in 2010. <laughs> um, but here's, here's what do we have to say. Uh, characters... Gregory Heffley, the main character, Greg, has trouble with family, friends, and his local middle school. He is very concerned about how popular he is at school, and he daydreams a lot about being rich and famous when he grows up. He tries to fit it in in school, but usually he does not succeed. Facing many challenges, Greg attempts to handle them very creatively, but unfortunately, his antics often backfire on him. Interesting. Well, that just kind of writes itself and I think everyone can make their own comparisons <laughs> right there. But I will also say that as a franchise and the book business, Diary of the Living Kid is like a a blockbuster in terms of sales. It is a huge marketing arm of again, I believe it is Scholastic that publishes it. Uh this says Amulet Books. Which I think is part of Scholastic. Just saying. Um and I might be wrong. It's very possible. But I will know I do know that it even if Scholastic does not publish it, it is like one of the major on those, you know, Scholastic book fairs that they do at schools. Like there's a Diary of the Movie Kid section because that is one of the most popular kids for books, books for kids right now. So. Amulet Books is part of Abrams Books, formerly Harry N. Abrams, Inc., a popular publisher of high quality art and illustrated books, a subsidiary of the French publisher La Martinier Group. Well, then I was wrong because Abrams is an independent publisher, um, so I stand corrected. But again, it is such a powerhouse that Scholastic is like, give me some of that wimpy kid money. Um, So if that was supposed to be a stick burn to the Bears, that's fine um, because I don't really care that much about football. But um, I will say it wasn't the best stick burn because Diary of the Wimpy Kid is like, again, a wildly successful franchise that cannot be stopped. Can't be stopped. Just like Casey Johnson can't be stopped. Exactly. Casey's the right? best. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, uh, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> That's what I got. Yep. Concludes <laughs> the comparisons. Um, and so I would just like to uh, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, I will not quiz you on your team uh, on the spot. But I think 
after all those sick burns, intentional and unintentional, we need to take a quick detour <laughs> to the... Kindness Corner. Aw. So, uh, welcome to the Kindness Corner. This is a very nice corner. Thank you. Yeah. And so I just want, uh, I'm, I'll say one nice thing about one member of the team, uh, the league, and I want you to say one nice thing about one member of the league, and then we will conclude this lovely episode without any specific football content. Okay. Uh, I pick Gary Nelson. Ah. Because you can't now. Haha. <laughs> okay. Deal. Gary very good good guy very fun very wacky very good with lily and very full of life and enthusiastic which was particularly expressed today for instance with his insane zeal for picking all of the apples that he possibly could even though he only bought a one peck bag and was eating all of the apples and shoving them in his puffy vest but he is a very enthusiastic and happy and good person and likes to make silly faces and dances at lily Ah, that's so true. That's so good. Um, I would like to very honestly say I did not mean to turn this into like a sick burn podcast and I really like everyone so, so much and could say something nice about everyone with ease and great delight, but I will choose Megan Murphy <clears throat> for my kindness corner moment, who I believe has not been spoken about yet. Correct. Okay. Um, And Megan is just like, honestly the best in many different ways. She is a fantastic aunt. She is a fantastic sister. She is a fantastic friend. Um, and I... Terrible wife. <laughs> fantastic wife. God damn it, Pat. <laughs> uh, uh, this is the kindness corner. You're supposed to be kind to all, not just the people we're talking about, I but also your guests. I didn't choose you for my kindness and corner. That's true. Okay. Anyway, I think Megan Murphy is a delight and an inspiration to me because I, I think that she has a real talent of both like choosing something super fun and cool to do and then making it way more fun and way more cool than you would even expect. And I'm thinking about like parties she's thrown and um, kind of activities we've done together. I'm kind of like constantly blown away by just like her poise and creativity for sure. Excellent. That was a great visit to the kindness corner. Welcome. Please come again. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, with that, uh, that'll do it for this segment. Uh, please remember to email podcast at fancyfantasyfootball.com. And we would love to have more reader questions. Um, I will have one question that is being worked on uh, that is fun, but it's not ready to go yet. So there's one pending, but we'd love to have more. So thank you. Have a good night. Farewell. Say goodbye. 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 Ciao.